This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. It's early in the month of January 2022, so let me begin by wishing everyone a happy new year. Despite all of the challenges we faced in 2021, including the emergence of the new Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus that's been plaguing us, investors never really lost their sense of optimism. There was a general feeling that with vaccinations and social distancing practices, we had effectively defeated the pandemic and that it would be only a matter of time before life returned to normal. The S&P 500, which is the big US index, ended 2021 at 4766.18, nearly 27% above where it started the year. And that index was actually charting fresh all-time highs even last month as governments around the world were reacting to Omicron by introducing fresh travel restrictions, among other measures. Closer to home, the Straits Times Index ended 2021 at 3123.68. That was nearly 10% above where it started the year. So again, not a bad run. Now, unlike many investors, I'm not all that positive about the market at the moment. So in this podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to offer my take on the likely direction of the market in 2022, specifically highlighting two big risk factors that I see. I'll also offer my view on how investors ought to position themselves in the early months of this year and explore the potential of finding so-called multi-bagger stocks in the local market. Looking back at the performance of the STI over the last two years, it's quite clear that investors began piling into the market in the fourth quarter of 2020. That was when there was a realization that COVID-19 vaccines were about to become a reality. The vaccines began arriving in Singapore at the end of 2020, and just one year on, Singapore has managed to fully vaccinate 87% of its population against COVID-19. On top of that, some 47% of the population has received a third booster shot. But last month, the World Health Organization reminded everyone that it's only really the world's wealthiest countries that have such high vaccination rates, and that less than half of its member states would not reach the targeted vaccination rate of 40% by the end of 2021. One reason for this is what it called distortions in global supply of the vaccines. The Director General of the World Health Organization lamented that even today, three out of four healthcare workers in Africa are not vaccinated. On the other hand, some countries now have blanket booster shot programs underway. Now, this situation is obviously very unfair, but from the perspective of investors here in Singapore, it's also rather dangerous. As long as COVID-19 is raging somewhere in the world, there is a risk of new and potentially more dangerous strains of the virus emerging. And whenever that happens, travel restrictions and safe distancing measures are likely to be tightened reflexively. In addition, because of the openness of Singapore's economy, high domestic vaccination rates alone probably won't be sufficient to get economic activity and corporate profitability really humming again. Singapore needs economic activity across the world to pick up in order for things to really return to normal. Interestingly, Singapore Airlines, which has been one of the most significant casualties of the pandemic, recently unveiled a new product called Flight Pass, which essentially allows customers to purchase discounted bundles of economy class tickets in advance. 
The initiative comes as SIA is adding back capacity and suggests the airline expects to face some challenges keeping its cabins full. I suspect other segments of the market that have been hit by the pandemic could be in a similar situation and that the recovery in corporate earnings that investors are expecting this year might not be all that robust. An even bigger risk than uncertain corporate profitability is the prospect of rising interest rates. Over the past several weeks, central banks have been reacting to rising inflation by tightening monetary policy. In particular, the US Federal Reserve said last month that it would quicken the tapering of its asset purchase program and that its net asset purchases will drop to zero by March this year. The Fed also indicated that there could be three 25 basis point hikes in the federal funds rate this year. This hawkishness comes as inflation is running well above the Fed's long-run goal of 2% per annum. In fact, the U.S. Consumer Price Index rose 6.8% for the 12 months ending November 2021, which was the largest 12-month increase since the period ending June 1982. The big question is how much monetary tightening will be necessary to head off the current rise in inflation and to what extent that will weigh on the market. Accelerating inflation and rising interest rates are often associated with booming economic activity and robust corporate earnings. But in an environment of persistently high inflation and interest rates, stocks tend to trade at lower market valuations. It's also worth noting that inflation and interest rates have been in a structural decline since the 1980s, in part because of trends that cap wage growth, such as automation and outsourcing. The result is that U.S. consumption came to be driven by increasing amounts of debt rather than rising incomes, while monetary policy became less about moderating business cycles than keeping asset prices inflated. Against this backdrop, the re-emergence of old-fashioned inflation that results in a significant tightening of monetary policy could trigger broad turbulence in the market. So for at least the first few months of this year, investors should probably tread carefully. But should investors stay out of the market altogether in 2022? I'm going to talk about that next. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Among the first few books I ever read on investing were One Up on Wall Street and Beating the Street by Peter Lynch, who famously ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund from 1977 to 1990. These books got me excited about multi-bagger stocks. Peter Lynch coined that term to refer to stocks that appreciate by a multiple of their initial value. So a stock that trebles in value is a three-bagger, and a stock that quadruples is a four-bagger. Then there are the vaunted 10-bagger stocks. During the 13 years that Peter Lynch ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund, he is said to have invested in several stocks that delivered a tenfold gain, which contributed to the blistering annual return he chalked up of 29.2%. As a result of the influence of his books, I used to only invest in stocks that I could imagine becoming multi-baggers over time, which led me to invest in a lot of small and obscure stocks back in the 1990s. While I'm much less of a risk taker now, I still think that investors ought to own stocks for the growth they offer rather than their dividend yields. Now, the reason I brought up Peter Lynch is, given the ongoing pandemic risks and tightening liquidity everywhere, investors will probably need to adopt a stock-picking strategy in the year ahead in order to succeed in the market. And Peter Lynch's books are an excellent exposition on this form of investing. 
Whether you are an experienced investor or just starting out, you will probably learn something from what he has to say in his books. But would Peter Lynch's stock picking strategies work in Singapore? After all, the local market has been a relatively poor performer over the past decade. Is it even possible to find multi-bagger stocks here? Well, here are some numbers. There were 137 Singapore-listed stocks that delivered a total return of at least 100% on a dividend-reinvested basis during the 10-year period up to the middle of last month. The 100% return is akin to the performance of a two-bagger stock. This is actually a very pedestrian return for that length of time, and the 137 names actually included some of the largest blue-chip companies in the market, notably the three local banks. In fact, DBS returned 314% during the 10-year period, OCBC returned 116%, and UOB returned 161%. Obviously, if we raise the performance bar, then fewer stocks would make the cut. For instance, there were only 22 stocks that delivered a total return of 500% or more during the 10-year period to the middle of last month. Most of them were mid-caps and small-caps with solid businesses. Among them were Banlyong Technologies, Spindex Industries, The Hourglass, and Riverstone Holdings. Did any stocks manage to deliver total returns topping 1,000%? There were in fact seven of them, AEM Holdings, ASEA Systems, UMS, Cortina, Micromechanics, GSH Corporation, and Franken Group. Were there stocks that delivered total returns of more than 1,000% over shorter periods of, say, five years? Yes, there were four of them, in fact. AEM, ASEA Systems, Nutrifarm, and IFAS Corporation. These are not large numbers, of course, so I think it's fair to say that there isn't a particular abundance of multi-bagger opportunities in the local market. But even a single multi-bagger stock can make a big difference to a portfolio. Peter Lynch once explained the virtue of hunting for multi-baggers this way. If you invest an equal amount in five stocks and one of those stocks turns out to be a 10-bagger while the others go nowhere, you would still have nearly tripled your money. So how did Peter Lynch go about finding multi-baggers? In his book, Beating the Street, he said finding good stocks really came down to a combination of art, science, and legwork. That is, a knack for imagining how a business might develop and grow, an ability to decipher financial statements, and the stamina to research and keep track of numerous companies. He was well known for casting his net wide. His fund is said to have held as many as 1,400 stocks at any one time. He was also a versatile investor who adjusted his approach to suit different types of stocks. For instance, he maintained significant exposure over the long term to stocks he deemed to have unshakable fundamentals and that delivered consistent earnings growth. Yet he was also quite prepared to buy beaten down cyclicals and deftly trade out of them when he saw no further upside. So how would Peter Lynch be positioned in the Singapore market now? This is pure conjecture and just a bit of fun, of course, but I imagine he would have found his way into consistent long-term outperformers, large and small including DBS, which I said earlier returned 314% over the past decade, Venture Corporation, which returned 415%, and Micromechanics, which returned 1,306%. I think he would probably also have invested in IFAS, which has returned 1,011% over the past five years. Peter Lynch would probably also be holding on to shares in the local watch retailers, Cortina and the Hourglass, riding their improved profitability while keeping an eye on their valuations. 
Cortina has returned 1,435% over the past decade, while the Hourglass has returned 707%. And looking ahead, I think Peter Lynch would probably be trying to handicap the potential post-pandemic upside for stocks like Thai Beverage, which has returned 268% over the last 10 years. He would probably also be trying to figure out how much Straits Trading would be worth once the sale of its stake in ARA Asset Management to ESR Cayman is completed. Straits Trading has already returned some 100% over the past five years. Given his fondness for hunting for winners even in dull sectors, I think Peter Lynch might also be closely watching homegrown companies like Challenger Technologies and Tyson Electric as they try to reposition themselves for the future. Challenger has returned 145% over the last 10 years, while Tyson Electric has returned a pretty impressive 335%. The point I'm making is that the best time to hunt for good stocks isn't when the market is going up or down, but when you think you might have found a potentially strong performer. And despite all the concerns about COVID-19 and inflation right now, one of my resolutions for 2022 is to devote more time to hunting for potential multi-baggers in the local market. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.